everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Marketeer. I'm your host, Stephanie Beach, and today I have Chris Shambra from founder of 747. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being a guest. I'm very excited for this. Um, so, Chris, I know a lot of people might not know who you are or, since you're not in the media space, but I am very excited because you've built your entire career on gratification. You have a book that's out, um, two books that are out, and I would love for you to give a little bit of your background and your career journey. Oh, Stephanie, thanks for having us. You know, the uh, the virtual gratitude experience that we did with all the, the new Inc. 500 and Inc. 5000 award winners, you must be on cloud nine uh, to, to, to have reached that pinnacle. And, and it's just the start of such a beautiful journey for your company. And thank you to Scott and Morgan from Inc. Magazine for connecting us in this way. Um, hello to everybody out there. Yeah, my, my name is Chris. Uh, you know, there, there's so many different kinds of stories that I want to, sh- I'm a college dropout. You know, I went to, uh, I went to my first rehab, uh, when I was, uh, it, it was May 14th of 2008. I was 20 years old and I never went back to college. And then I floated around the world doing a couple different things and eventually made my way up to New York city. But the story that I'll start with here today uh, takes place in July of 2015. If you had looked at my career up until then, uh, it would have looked like a pretty good uh, life. Uh, I was I was in the theater industry. I was traveling around the world producing Broadway plays. I was having a really good time. Life looked good on paper. But one day, upon my return home to New York City after producing a Broadway play in Rome, Italy. I came back home and realized I felt a few things. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, nervous, cautious, anxious, a little bit tired and lost. It was something about Italy that woke me up to feeling those kind of ways. That just because a life looked good on paper didn't mean it felt good in the heart. I knew that I had to do something quick to change how I felt because the last time I had felt all those things at once was in my early twenties. It led me down a deep, dark path of non-suicidal self-injury, multiple stints of rehab, tons of depression and jail. And I didn't want to go back. So I thought, what was it about Rome, Italy that changed my perspective on life? Was it how they walked, how they talked, how they lived, how they honored history, how they watched the sunsets on Ponte Ponte Umberto? No, it's how they ate food with their friends to the wee hours of the morning. And I said, that's what woke me up. I got to do that here in New York City. And so I invented a pasta sauce recipe and I decided that I should feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. And that's when this whole next chapter began. July 15th, 2015, I invited 15 of my friends who didn't know each other into my home on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and we had a little dinner party. 6.30 p.m. cocktails began. Then we worked together to create the meal. We had a shared group experience. We ate some decent pasta sauce. And at 7.47 p.m., 
now the name of my company, I paused dinner table conversation and I asked them a very particular question. We'll get into the question in a sec, but when I asked that question, I saw people take a deep breath, they sat upright in their seats, and they pulled forth some amazing stories that helped them be vulnerable and connect in the most meaningful ways I'd ever seen. That dinner party, I realized that I had found the secret sauce for human connection. Gratitude, empathy, listening to each other, telling authentic stories, coming into the present, building community would then go on to be something that I would dedicate the rest of my life to. What started off as an innocent dinner party in my, at the time, 350 square foot studio apartment in New York City blossomed into the company we have today. Uh, we've used the principles of gratitude, empathy, and human connection to spark over 500,000 relationships within the world's greatest companies, within the workplace. Microsoft, Google, IBM, Dell, the United States government, and more. And we dedicate our entire life now to solving the epidemic of loneliness and the crisis of disconnection within the workplace. And that's uh, it's one of the chapters of our lives. I think that's really amazing. And it's a very unique perspective to take, especially in the workplace, uh, where there is so much stress. Um, yet there, we spend the majority of our time, right. And we're really vulnerable in a way that we kind of have to adhere to whatever your work style is and whatever the type of work is. And up until a short point in time, and now people are starting to go back into the office, what your office environment is. And yet there's so much deep down on a connection level that you don't always let people see of you. So how do you get past that and how do you foster that in the workplace to be able to get people to really, you know, trust in one another and, and work together and be vulnerable in a way that they share those stories that maybe they wouldn't otherwise share? That's a that's a great question, Stephanie. And I'm glad you mentioned the word stories at the end of it. You know, ultimately, to solve the crisis of disconnection, we're not going out and writing prescriptions to have people just talk about their feelings at work. You know, if someone's listening to this podcast and they think that's the way we do it, you got it all wrong. What I'm most excited about people doing is telling their authentic stories within the workplace. How do you show up and have the psychological safety needed to share a, a vulnerable, authentic part of your story that helps create connection to others? How do you show up to the workplace and ask better questions and listen with empathy and turn on the brain for curiosity to empower others to tell some authentic stories? Because when you listen to each other's stories within the workplace, whether it's with the people you lead, the teams you sit on, the customers you serve, the world ends up becoming a little bit smaller in a less lonely place. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the favorite ways that we do that is by asking the same question that we have been asking since that very first dinner party on July 15th of 2015. At that very first dinner, we asked that magical question. 
And it's been the guiding force ever since. And I want to ask your people the question right now to give us a jumping off point, to give some tactical examples of how we create meaningful moments of human connection. So if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to stop running. (laughs) I want you to pull over the side of the road. (laughs) I want you to sit quietly on the subway and just think. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to or that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Now think about them for a sec. Are you thinking of some person who's sitting right next to you that you've never thought to thank? Are you thinking of someone who raised you that you don't thank enough? Are you thinking of someone who took an interest in you when you were young and championed your initiative? Are you thinking of your first investor who said yes to you in a more recent time? Are you thinking of someone who hurt you along the way, but inspired a tremendous amount through their hurt? Are you thinking of an ex-bad boss? Are you thinking of a mean ex-girlfriend? Are you thinking of that high school bully? Anything goes. Think about that person. Now, the odds are you might be inspired to take action on this gratitude You've realized that there are people you've never thought to thank or you don't thank enough, and now you want to go out and give them that gratitude in a pro-social way. You writing a letter, you spending time, you buying a gift, whatever that looks like. It's amazing. Now, I want you to think for a sec. What if you tweak that question for it to say, if you could give credit or thanks to one person on your team that you've never thought to thank, that you don't thank enough, who would that be? Now go and thank them. This is an example of things we do to help companies create more meaningful moments of human connection. How do you build peer-to-peer gratitude in the workplace? How do you inspire leaders to give more gratitude to the people they serve? How do you inspire a company to go out and give greater gratitude to the customers that have believed in them Since they had that MVP product, (laughs) since they had those difficult technical difficulties, how do you go out and thank the people that have been there through thick and thin? And we like to inspire companies to think about relationships in that way. And how do you think that transforms the culture of the company, right? Because that's essentially what you're doing. You're creating and changing the environment or, you know, the perception that the company Mm -hmm. wants their employers to have with each other and about the company and, and for whatever reasons. And I don't necessarily think that there's a bad reason, but you know, there's some industries that are very cutthroat. There are some people that are very competitive, you know, it's also hard if you're going up for the same role as, as your peer, or, you know, you both want the same promotion or a raise or whatever that might be. It, I think that it's a very unique perspective of creating an environment in the workplace that allows for that. And then do you also feel that that needs to come from home? Is it just as important to have a practice at home of being grateful for your life and, and living in the moment while still 
aspiring and having your goals? Like how does that all kind of fit into what you guys are doing and what you're promoting? So a couple different questions in there. What I'll start off with is the last one you asked, which is home. Right. You know, to, to paint the overall 90,000 foot view, when I talk about us being massively obsessed, a burning desire in our soul to help people create more meaningful moments of human connection. First, it starts with yourself. Second, it's with your team. Third, it's with your customers. Four, it's with the community that your company serves. So starting off by creating greater connection to yourself, yes, needs to start outside the workplace. It needs to start with you developing an attitude of gratitude yourself to your husband, wife, and kids, to your parents, to your cousins, to your third grade teacher, to your neighbor, to your dog, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of you. Mindfulness, massages, travel, therapy, whatever you got to do to show up to the workplace as the best version of yourself. Because in order to see the change that you want to see in your team and in your customers, first they have to make the change within yourself not the other way around. So yes, doing it at home is hugely important. I don't mean developing some ritual where you wake up every morning and you write in your gratitude journal what you're thankful for and blah, blah, blah. I actually think that stuff's bullshit. Why? Because it's a self-reflective version of gratitude that benefits no one else. We believe in the pro-social expression of gratitude. To be grateful is to be grateful to someone. Then you should go out and thank them. So you feel less lonely. So you feel less alone. And it feels good to give that gratitude. It feels good for them to receive that gratitude as well. Everybody wins. So yes, starting your gratitude, your attitude of gratitude, creating more meaningful moments of human connection starts at home. Yes. So that you can show up to the workplace to invest in your team and your customers in a meaningful way. So what does that look like? Especially in cutthroat industries. I get it. You know, we write, a, uh, we write about a lot of these answers in our most recent book, Gratitude Through Hard Times, um, Finding Positive Benefits in Our Darkest Hour. It hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And it's a 300-page monster of the science and psychology of what I'm about to talk about. Gratitude isn't just a woo-woo, feel-good, soft skill anymore. It's now linked to hardcore statistics. Let's break it down. Let's talk about you leaders that are listening. 81% of your employees will report wanting to work harder if you showed them more gratitude and appreciation. An inspired employee driven by gratitude and, and appreciation is 225% more highly engaged. Why is that important? Because we have a crisis of disconnection and disengagement in the workplace right now. Yeah. 60% of the American workforce reports being emotionally detached at work. 79% of the American workforce reports being disengaged at work. All you got to do, leaders, is give a little bit more gratitude and help your team feel a little bit more valued and authentically appreciated. So A, gratitude's awesome in that way. On a peer-to-peer -peer level, it's awesome as well. Studies show that when coworkers practice gratitude, to each other before a stressful activity, it lowers cardiovascular stress. Let me give an example of this. 
I was giving a keynote in Prague. Well, not technically a small town outside of a Prague, uh, Pilsen, Czech Republic, the home of Pilsner Uriquel, the original Pilsner in the world. And I was giving a keynote to 120 senior leaders of a global 20,000 person brewery. All the senior leaders were coming in and the theme was for me to help them create more meaningful moments of human connection. I took a brewery tour, not a pill in Ibiza. I took a brewery tour the day before my speech and I'm with Francis, their head of China. I'm with Yitka on their comms team and I'm with the brewery guide, tour guide. And we're walking by all these crazy things and I look in one window and I look down in that in that window and I see a bunch of people, but I focus in on one guy wearing a yellow glove. Imagine this. You're in a bottling factory of, of Pilsner Uriquel, this ancient beer that invented an entire category. And this one dude's wearing a yellow, looks like kitchen cleaning glove. And his hand keeps going in and out of this big machine in and out every couple seconds in and out. And he's holding this red heavy hammer and he's swinging this thing and he's going in and out. And like, if he does one little thing wrong, his hands getting chopped off and there's going to be blood in that beer. But you look 10 feet to his left and there's a lady dressed in janitorial clothes, sweeping the floor, mopping, sweeping, keeping clean, What's the importance of her job? She needs to keep that floor clean. If it's the last thing she does, so that this dude with the yellow gloves doesn't slip and get his hand lodged and cut off in the machine. Right. What spaces can we as leaders create to help facilitate peer-to-peer gratitude? They probably don't talk on the loud floor. But what if we decreased their 12-hour shift by 10 minutes and facilitated them to share authentic gratitude towards each other every day after the shift. That would lower cardiovascular stress levels before they're both hugely stressful jobs. It would create peer-to-peer connection. They would feel less alone, and they might actually talk during their shift breaks, during their, you know, during their day, right? So peer-to-peer gratitude can create tremendous shifts on your teams. You can thank your coworkers for picking up slack on a project that you were delayed on. You can give gratitude to a coworker for coming up with a digital marketing idea that you have never thought on and you won the deal because of their idea and it wasn't even their project. You can thank people for that and they'll want to give their ideas more. And then the third thing I'll talk about is gratitude to the customer. Look, we have a jarring statistic. Only 22% of the global B2B customers report being engaged in a B2B capacity. Only 13% of them report being fully engaged, which means in a crowded marketplace like digital marketing, where y'all all pretty much have the same product at the same price. You're all doing the same stuff. Not really. I know everybody's unique. But like, <laughs> like when you got the same stuff in a commoditized environment, it's not product or price that helps you win out. It's the customer relationships you can build. 
Now, one of the keynotes we do is about harnessing the power of gratitude, empathy, and human connection in customer relationships. Changing customer relationships from transactional to transformational. And so the way you do that is through gratitude and empathy. The Harvard Business Review created a study they call the New Science of Customer Emotions. The customers you serve have a desire, a deep emotional need to feel a sense of belonging, of community, of thrill, of success, of appreciation, and of being valued. And when you use gratitude and empathy and community, etc., to build better relationships with your customers, they feel alive. They move from mere satisfaction to full engagement. Google did a wonderful study in their promotion to emotion study that showed that buyers with a strong emotional tie to your brand through the use of these kinds of things, gratitude and empathy and all the soft skills stuff, are five times more likely to consider purchasing, 13 times more likely to purchase, and 30 times more likely to pay a premium. Isn't that what we all want as digital marketers and entrepreneurs is to go to bed at night knowing that someone wants to pay a premium for what we offer? Yep, that's what I want. So you can bring these soft skills types of stuff that people in cutthroat industries have been avoiding for all these years and actually drive outsized business results. It's not just woo-woo shit anymore. I think it's very interesting. And I I feel like there's a lot of big points there. And and when you think about it, it's like, oh, just it makes sense, right? Yeah. Nobody likes to just take orders, no matter who it Nobody. is. And everybody wants to feel no matter how small their job is or how insignificant their their job might seem they want to feel like they're part of the bigger cause and we're all in this together right yeah i think it's very interesting too how we've kind of evolved to this what do you think has happened that's caused people to i guess need this more in the workplace right back in the day you went to work you did your job you came home and that was it and now you know, I think especially in America, we have this mentality of always working, always on. Everybody's home. Yeah, you have to justify uh, being home. You have we have our phones in our pockets, which are our many computers. It's so easy to reply to everything. So I think disconnecting is important. But what has changed, I guess, in society as a whole that's really pushed us towards this direction? Seventy percent. 76% of American workers report at least one symptom of a mental health condition on a daily basis. 50% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis. 19% report being miserable. Yeah. These are huge studies from Gallup, from Vivek H. Murthy, the Surgeon General of the United States. This is huge epidemic level stuff. And so I think people are finally just waking up to that and realizing, I think we kind of have been doing it wrong all this time, right? We have a high, we have a high level of opioid addiction, mm -hmm. alcohol addiction, even social media addiction. None of us are actually like living, right? We pretend to live. But really, all we're doing is running from ourselves. We're crumbling under the agitation of uncertain times. You know, we're so far focused on a future that's so far away 
and so unpromised and so uncertain. We all have these big goals. We all have these big, big dreams. We all have these same sentences. I'll be happy when or if something in the future ever occurs. Well, here's the truth, y'all. It likely won't ever occur. Your dreams will not come true. And the more time you spend in that future-oriented state, the less time you can actually appreciate what you do got in the present moment. We call that gap the forward void. We measure ourselves around the distance between where we are and where we want to go. And we focus more on what we lack rather than appreciating what we have and helping us get more of those things. Yeah, that's kind of fucked us. Yeah, from a I mean, that's a level. really great point. There's so much, and, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have goals, right? And you shouldn't no, aspire to something, but still enjoy what where you are now, yeah. live in the present, and, and maybe look back and be grateful for what you now have yeah. that you didn't have previously. Yeah, gratitude is a great link, a tool to use to go into the past. Yeah. Because the past already happened. The past can never change. You own the narrative. You can find positive benefits in anything you've ever been through and be grateful for it and use it part of your story to create connection with others, mm-hmm. right? When I ask you that signature gratitude question, you could have reached back and said, you know what? I've never thought to thank my third grade teacher. And you and you turned around in your chair and you looked 20 years back in the rearview mirror, and you said, oh, Miss Carson, I really need to thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And that was a positive, that was a positive memory that you got to recollect from your past. Or you could have looked back in the rearview mirror, your past, the shit that's already happened, and said, you know what? I'm so grateful that the judge denied me bond before my trial and I served my five-year prison sentence because now I have all these things to show for my name. That's what Anna Delvey said to me. I went I went for dinner one night with Anna Delvey. There was three of us, me, Johanna, and Anna Delvey. And I asked her this signature gratitude question. She started crying. And she said, you know what? I've never thought to thank the judge that denied me bail. If he had not denied me bail, I would have fled the country. I would have moved back to Germany where they can't extradite me. I would have lived in a tiny little commune or village, and that would have just been that. But she says, I'm grateful that he didn't deny me that or that he denied me that because then I went from pre-trial to trial, straight to jail, Netflix, book deal, (laughs) fame, all this shit. I wouldn't have had that. I'm not saying what she did was right. Right, right. I'm just saying she found positive benefits through a really negative tough time. And I think that's a really great perspective too, because I think that there's so many people out there that kind of use their past as an excuse to not get past it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I saw a meme or something and I don't remember the exact words, but it's basically like, leave your past where it is look forward to your future, but live in the moment. And I, I love that. I love that too. And I don't know if it's exactly those words, but it came out good anyway. So, <laughs> but so yeah, you're, you're talking about the power of presence, 
And we start off every keynote we deliver with that concept. At every experience we've ever produced, at every keynote we've ever delivered, every coaching call we get on with executives, any advisory strategy we do, we always say there's one question that you can ask a billion times in life. You can ask anybody around you, what's one word that honestly describes how you feel right now in this moment? And if you set a six-minute timer and you ask your partner what their one word is and why they feel that way today, and they ask you what your one word is and why you feel that way today, y'all will find so many things in common. And we teach leaders, all you digital marketeers and entrepreneurs that are listening to this, on every one of your next, the next week, try it. And every one of your next one-on-one meeting or team all hand or customer call or whatever, spend the first four minutes, six minutes asking your people, asking your one person, what's one word that honestly describes how you feel right now in the moment? Turn on the brain to actively listen open up the heart for empathy and connection, and ask them some good follow-up questions, open-ended questions that start with what and how. And it will be one of the only moments in their life that they actually are getting the gift of authentically being in the present. And you can scale that as much as you want. Because people need to feel in the present now more than ever. We're running around like mindless rats. We're so avoidant of living in the present that we invent anything that we can to to pull us out of the present. Mindless scrolling on the internet. Addiction to shopping and capitalism. Biting our fingernails. Drinking a drink. Taking a drug. Going to a workshop. Reading a book. All distractions from you doing your own work. The famous author Stephen Pressfield once said, there's nothing worse to avoid doing your own work than going to a workshop. (laughs) (laughs) Suckety fuck. I mean, there's elements of truth in that. There's elements of non-truth in that. But anyways, um, if you would just come into the present, I mean, every experience that we produce follows the same three-act architecture. Act one is about getting our people, our attendees to come into the present. Act two is about giving them a step back to safety in the past. The third act is about looking ahead to the future, inspired, wiser, lighter, grateful, connected, happy, joy, ready to tackle on the challenges of tomorrow together. It's very powerful. Um, and I think that there's a there's so much more that we could unpack here. I feel um, I could talk to you about this all day. And I, I think it's so amazing that more companies and more businesses and more business leaders are understanding the power of just doing something so simple, like thanking your peers and, you know, your employees and your coworkers and your staff and, you know, so on and so forth. And I remember a story where um, I had a client that was having a really bad issue with one of the services that we were providing and I was trying really hard to help them. And I I met him for a lunch and he was just like, and and I said, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say, except that I'm sorry that this is your experience. 
And he was like, you know, of all the people that I spoke with at the company, you are the first one to just listen and tell me that you understand how I feel. And I was like, wow, that's all this man really wanted. You know what I mean? Was to just be heard, even though I don't have a solution for him. And, you know, I don't even know where we are and working on it. Like it's, it's out of my hands at this point, just having him feel that we understood where he was coming from and that, you know, we were working on it at all was enough for him. We, um, thank you for doing that. I will even add a little bit of language that you could say to these types of people going forward. You know, it's one thing to tell someone, I'm sorry that you're going through this, which means you hear them and you listened and you're sorry to take it to the next step. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, you're going through this. You could say, I'm grateful that you told me this. Yeah. It's provided me a tremendous amount of empathy and it's inspired a new way that I'd like to look at my own business or my own dealings. And they will even feel better than just you saying you're sorry. Yeah. I like those words. That is, that is really great. We, um, we teach people a lot of this stuff. We do all kinds of works, but one of the favorite things that we lead is, um, what's called an inquisitive empathy workshop. We teach people about the art of asking good questions, listening with curiosity, opening up the heart for empathy and practicing a few different tactics like mirroring and labeling emotions and asking open-ended calibrated questions Mm -hmm. to actually let people know you give a shit. Yeah. You're listening with empathy. So I I love that that you brought that up. Yeah. um, I think it's very interesting. And I think with some of this, And not only just having your employer feel good, but like you said, starting at home and feeling good with yourself and your foundation, there's a lot of self-doubt, right? And and we were talking about this before recording too, where sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves or we're wondering if we could attain the same goal or the same caliber that we held ourselves up to before and have so much negative talk. How how do you help get past that? And, And what are some pointers that, you know, it's easier said than done to just be like, oh, I'm thinking about this, change my thoughts. But, you know, I feel like being grateful is also letting go of some of those insecurities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the idea, great question. The idea of saying, hi, I just raised $400 million in my recent series B round. And then the next phone calls to your buddy, Chris saying, I feel like I don't deserve what I just did. It's very natural to have imposter and insecurity. And yes, while gratitude can help you find more gratitude to yourself and you've you've done it, you earned it. Woohoo. You know, it wasn't luck. What I'll actually say is you're not giving enough gratitude to the people around you and how they helped you get to where you are today. Your imposter syndrome could be saying, I didn't earn this. I'm not worthy. It was all a fluke. I just got lucky. What the people around you are hearing is, we don't deserve it. We are a fluke. We don't deserve what we got. And that makes them feel like shit. 
I mean, I remember I used to communicate that my greatest imposter and insecurity growing up was that I was always the last one called to the party and that my invite was always lost in the mail. And I used that as my calling card for years. And then I went to my buddy Andrew's wedding in St. Thomas, British Virgin Islands. And after a number of painkiller cocktails, my buddy Willie looked at me and said, I don't know, man, I don't think you give enough credit to your friends. Like we all did everything together. You just sound like a victim right now. And I'm like, shit, dude, he's right. Like me running around like a victim saying that I was the last one called to the party means that I'm not giving enough gratitude to my friends for including me. Because the truth is, you look at every photo of all of us growing up, I'm in every photo. We all hung out all the time. What am I talking about? And it goes back to the imposter thing. What you can do to get over your own imposter syndrome is look at the team around you, look at the support system around you, and give authentic gratitude to them and what they meant in your success and to even celebrate their success and you'll feel better about yourself. You will feel less imposter, less insecurity because ultimately you will have proven to yourself that you know how to surround yourself with some pretty awesome people to achieve some pretty awesome things together. I love that. I really do. I think that this was really great. I wish we had more time. Thank you very, very much for being on the show and for sharing. I would love to ask one last question um, related to this. And then I have two little fun questions that I always like to end the sessions with. But if you could give anybody one piece of advice on how to get started, you know, um, and really kind of something that they could take away with them that hopefully will get them thinking to implement something like this to hopefully change their life, what would that be? I was given this advice on a Sunday in January of 2016. We had just gone snow sledding, a bunch of us in Central Park during a big, great blizzard, Snowstorm Jonas or Snowstorm Juno, one of the two. And we went up to my buddy Dave's house on 57th Street and 7th Avenue afterwards. And Dave said, hey, buddy, what are you going to do next in your life? I just removed myself from my theater company. We had had success in theater. I've had success in real estate. I've had small success in digital marketing and social media. I've had some small success in our little dinner parties at the time. I said, I don't know, Dave, maybe I'll try my hand at all of them. He said, no way, bro. You can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. He literally looked at me and said, what has the worst long-term potential? I said, the dinner parties. (laughs) He said, what's going to be the hardest to even get off the ground? I said, probably the dinner parties. He said, what are you the most emotionally connected to? What brings this burning desire in your soul to have a positive impact on others that you'll dedicate every freaking hour of your day thinking about how to do? I said, my dinner parties. He said, I think you found your answer. And we never wavered. It got hard. It still is hard. You know, everybody knows that's listening. Entrepreneurship's a bitch. But never waver, never waver and always focus on what your thing is. Maybe one day you'll wake up and be the best in the world at what you do. But you got to stay focused on that thing. So many people these days, so many youngsters, they got so many different flavors of opportunities and they never pick one and they never get started. Get started, 
persevere through the hard times, keep focused on what that North star is and just get it fucking done. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, thank you again. And for our two fun questions, the first one is if you could be anything in the world, money, no object, what would it be and why? I'd be a dinner party host. <laughs> it's it seems like you found your calling. I'm I love doing it. it. You know what? I don't give enough gratitude to the fact that I've architected a life where I get to do what I love as often as humanly possible. That is and amazing. I think I think that my skill sets apply to this job pretty darn well. Yeah. My passion applies, my story applies, and I get to have a meaningful impact on tens of thousands of people. And gosh, golly, it's great. And we get to meet some fun people along the way. I love it. That's great. And what was your first job ever? I used to beg. (laughs) I used to beg my babysitter, Lynn, if I could mow her parents' lawn for free. (laughs) So that was, that was the first real efficient, you know, first job. But, um, I I'd say the first job was being, uh, being, uh, uh, yeah, working in the, in the restaurant industry with a bunch of my friends at the old oyster factory with my buddy, Willie, with my buddy, Addison, with my buddy, Eric, with my buddy, Randy Cooper, uh, Katie and Jesse all working for the Godfather himself, Rick Peterson and and Sally. And, uh, I got fired from that job because I showed up drunk to work one day but i also i also learned a valuable lesson when i was interviewing i I know we have to hop but when i was being interviewed to join as just like a bus boy Mm -hmm. i interviewed with the executive chef mr lee and when i went into mr lee's office at this wonderful restaurant old oyster factory i saw a photo of my grandfather on his desk and mr lee is this native hilton head islander who it was about six foot three or six foot four. And he had a photo of him and my short little Sicilian immigrant grandfather on his desk. I said, what is that, Mr. Lee? He said, I apprenticed under your grandfather at the local butcher shop. Oh, wow. I learned more about life watching the way that man in his 80s cut meat and dealt with people. And he said, that's what inspired me to do what we've been able to do here at the old oyster factory. And we're both crying in his office. And he said, you're hired. (laughs) It wasn't soon after that I was then fired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an amazing story as well. Um, You have so many. Again, Chris, thank you so much. I really enjoyed my time. This was really great. Where can our audience find you if they have questions or want to connect or are interested in bringing you on board for their company to help with gratification? Well, today is the official launch of chrisshembra.com for the last eight years we've hid behind our company's brand 747 and now in addition to 747 club.org we have chrisshembra.com built by the wonderful folks at go live hunter and Alyssa and Susanna and nicole and all those wonderful people that we met through the impact 11 community Awesome. Thank you so much again and hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Stephanie.